please stand for the reading of God's word. Today we'll be in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. That is on page 493 in the Blue Bibles. And if you do not have a Bible, feel free to take that one home as a gift from Northridge Life Church. Again, that is Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 29. Hear the word of the Lord. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father and child cried out and said, I believe, hell my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Thus says God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that although we were not worthy or deserving of it, Lord, that you and your grace have given it to us. That your mercy and your glory would be displayed, Father. Your people could find and know you and glorify your great name, Lord. I pray that as we hear your word this morning, that it would have its full effect on all of our hearts and our minds this morning. Father, I pray that we would be attentive to your word and hearing its truth, we would submit to the um, good things you have shown us, that you would stir up hope in our hearts as we see your glorious mercy displayed in this scripture this morning. Lord, I pray most of all that when people leave here this morning, Lord, that they would remember your name, that they would see your glory with all that's said here. Lord, I pray that I would decrease, Father, and you would increase, that you would use this lowly vessel, Lord, as a means to proclaim your glorious truth. And for all of this mercy, we give you thanks. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So before we get into our passage this morning, I thought it would be good to open up with a little story. I want to tell you a story about a man named Christian. This man's life had recently been changed because he had heard the good news of the gospel. 
But he ran into an issue. After being faithful and attending church regularly week after week, he noticed that he, he struggled with doubt. He struggled with sin. He noticed that there were things in his life that he seemed to, uh, to, to really weigh heavy upon his newly converted heart. And after spending many times in, in, in becoming discouraged, eventually to the point where the doubt, uh, he began to, uh, be fearful of the doubt. He began to be discouraged by the doubt and he wasn't sure what to do. And I want to say this morning that if you can relate to Christian this morning, this passage is for you. If you cannot relate to Christian this morning, this passage is also for you. As you may find somebody or know a brother or sister in Christ who deals with doubt, but at the least, what we will see in this passage is the wonderful mercy of God to give faith to those who need it. I think often the question is, you know, we all, we all know that we're saved by grace through faith. And I think sometimes we were, eventually we come across the question of where does faith itself come from? And, uh, I'm excited to share that with you this morning. So, we open up in our passage, verse 14, and we know that recently Jesus has just ascended to Mount Hermon from, uh, the town Caesarea Philippi where he shared, um, the truth um, shared the truth with the people there, telling them that if they are to follow him, they must lay down their lives. And then he, about six days or so after that, he ascends up the mountain of, as we know it, the Mount of Transfiguration, with Peter, James, and John. And they have this amazing experience, Peter, James, and John, of seeing Christ transfigured before their very eyes. And now... As they remain there a night, as we see in the Luke, uh, they, they descend down the mountain the next morning. And this is what they walk up upon. Verse 14 says, And when they came down the disciples, uh, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. I wonder, I, I thought about this for a moment, how interesting this would have been for uh, Peter, James, and John. Almost like the experience I, I think of uh, on, like, like, church camp on steroids. Having been gone up this mountain, isolated from the world, seeing the glorious magnificence of the glory of Christ, and now coming back, and the first thing they see is their fellow believers arguing with the scribes. And so I, th- I just thought of that interesting experience that I remember as a kid, you know, going to church camp. And it's, you know, it's an interesting experience because you can go and be kind of isolated from the world and be around fellow believers. And it's so much concentrated encouragement in the gospel that it can it can be a great help. And then you return home only to find all is still as it was. <laughs> so I, I can only imagine what they were thinking. And in verse 15, well, let's stop there. So they notice two things when they come down on the mountain. There's a great crowd. There's a great crowd that has gathered. And in the middle of this great crowd, they see the scribes and the disciples arguing with each other. I think that it's, we should make note here of how quickly the devil would take opportunity to deceive, discourage God's people. It wasn't but probably a two days. They ascended in one day, stayed the night, and descended in another. 
And immediately, as soon as, as Satan sees the shepherd of the sheep leave the flock, immediately he waits for an opportunity. And knowing the text, we know that the opportunity was the disciples were unable to cast a demon out of a young boy. I can only imagine the eagerness of, of the scribes as soon as seeing this, um, to jump on the opportunity to challenge the confession and the faith of the disciples. In verse 15, it goes on to say, And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. I think this is beautiful because it speaks of the wonderful nature of Christ in his timely fashion to deliver his people. As, as one born at the proper time, or as we see later in scripture, as Christ came at the right time to deliver his people, so also there's this dispute going on between Jesus' disciples and the scribes. To what we know eventually at some point had to make its way to Jesus as that is who the disciples represented. And as they're standing there having this, this argument and this debate, this loud, this large crowd is standing around watching them, seeing what's going to happen. Who's going to win this debate? Is it going to be the scribes or the Pharisees? Who do you have your money on? And they're just curious of what's the solution here? There's a problem and it seems to be unresolved still. And now we have two of who are supposed to be spiritual leaders, Jesus' disciples or the scribes, whoever your preference is in this crowd. And they're just arguing amongst each other. And here Jesus now comes down from the mountain and it says that they were greatly amazed and they ran up to greet him. I, I'm, I'm assuming they're sitting there and, and they're seeing this argument, that, uh, this debate upon Jesus. And then, Lord and behold, here comes the one that the debate is all about. So let's run. Let's see. What, is, what does he have to say? Maybe he can solve our problem. Maybe he can answer our great dilemma here. So Jesus goes on and he steps down in verse 16 and says, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were unable. I want to stop and ask a question real quick. Who was doing the arguing here? Who was doing the actual arguing? It was the scribes and the Pharisees. And I think it's interesting how Jesus comes down and asks them, what do you argue about? And seemingly out of the crowd, out of nowhere, a man speaks up with the issue. So it was not this man who was arguing, but the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, Jesus, I, I brought my son to you, for he has a demon that has plagued him. He has a demon that causes him to do violent things. He, he, when he is seized, he grinds his teeth and foams at the mouth. He becomes rigid. This is a very intense experience. This is, this is not just some, some neurological issue. We see that. Even today, we have, you know, people who, who, who deal with, uh, seizures. And that's a normal thing, but this was, there was something more violent, more intimidating, more scary about this. It was, it was a demonic influence that was causing this young boy to have these violent episodes. 
I can I cannot imagine the the fear that it, it that came upon the the father of this boy seeing his his son taken captive by this demon and frolicking and all he can do is stand back and watch unable to help just waiting for for it to finally let go of him and he can come and comfort his son because other than that there's there's nothing he can do and and this this father though I th- if we look here, it says that I brought my son to you, talking to Jesus. So he didn't bring his son to the disciples initially. He brought his son to Jesus. But coming there to what is probably somewhere near the area of Caesarea Philippi, where the disciples were, he finds that Jesus is not there. But that's okay. The disciples are here. His representatives are here. Those who he has, has given authority to cast out demons are here. Those that he has, he has already sent out all across this region to preach, they're here. So surely, although Jesus is not here, these men should be able to help me. And he comes and he brings his boy to the disciples and they were unable to cast the demon out. Now we know from Matthew, when Jesus, when the disciples ask Jesus, how, why could we not cast it out? He said it was because of your little faith. Not no faith, but little faith. And I think it's worth mentioning here the danger of weak faith. How how often does it happen? I wouldn't even say how often, but I see this on occasion where people come, they may come into a place like this, and they may come because this is the place where they represent Jesus. I've heard that there is hope here. I've heard that there's answers here. But they come and, and they find those of little faith. Those who do not believe the inerrancy of the word. Those who do not believe in the promises of God and the truth spoken to us by his word. And what they find is discouragement. You know, I, I know, I know of many people who have, who have claimed to grow up in, in the church or, or in a church. A group of people professing to be believers. You know, and they'll point back all the time to say, yeah, you know, I had these issues, I had these problems, and I just, you know, they just didn't have the answers. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I think that this also occurs in in good churches, Bible-believing churches. But I think also that it happens at large with people who inter- interact with believers, and they say, I came to them with, with questions, and they could not answer. I came to them because I heard that they might be the ones with hope and they were unable to, to give me any hope. I found nothing there. There's a, there's a danger when we are not putting all of our faith in Jesus Christ. There is, there is a danger that we have of misrepresenting the power of Christ and His ability to save when our faith is in the wrong place or we lack faith at all. Jesus goes on to say, Oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. Now, I believe when Jesus is speaking here, saying, Oh, faithless generation, I don't believe he's talking to the disciples, as he did not refer to the disciples as faithless, completely without faith. But he's speaking to the people. 
Why would, why would Jesus say, oh, faithless generation? I think there's a good example for us found in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. We see this, this story where God had just fed the people of Israel in the desert with manna. He had just provided for them via miracle. And now, by God's command, Moses leads them to another place. And when Moses leads them there as the messenger of God, as the the leader of his people at that time, what they find when they get there is there's no water. And when they see that there's no water, they begin to get thirsty. And they begin to grumble and argue and say, Moses, why has God brought us here? If he Has he just brought us here to, to leave us and let us die? Has he delivered us that we just, you know, become nothing in the desert? And Moses, hearing the, the arguments and the grumbles of the people, he then goes to God and cries out to God. God gives the, him a solution, tells him how to get water. Moses faithfully obeys and he takes his staff and leads the elders before the people, strikes a stone and water comes out and the people get water. But I think it's, uh, but look at what it says here, or listen to what it says here in verse 7 of that chapter. It says, and he called the name of that place Mesa, which means test, and Mirabah, which means coral. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? I can almost hear the scribes' voices when the disciples were unable to deliver the boy, just ready to pounce. I could just hear the scribes looking at the disciples saying, hey, what is this? Is, is God not all-powerful? Has, has God not given you the ability to cast these demons out? Are you not those proclaiming to come, giving us the news that the Lord is here? But yet you are unable to cast a mere demon out of a boy. I wonder, is the Lord among us or not? We see this same attitude continuing amongst the people of God, even to this point. And notice the father, and then he goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? When we think of, of Jesus saying this, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of harsh words. It's, it's, it's almost sad to hear Jesus saying this about the people. These are supposed to be God's people. These are supposed to be the ones who, hearing the message, are to listen and heed and believe. And yet here he is preaching and doing miracles before these people, and they do not believe. It was not too long ago that a town not far from Caesarea Philippi that Jesus heals the blind man. And now we hear, and he's done many things in this area, things that these people, I would assume, have heard of. The disciples have been preaching there hearing of the things that they have been doing, the works that God has been doing for them. And here they are, in a moment of doubt, in a moment of struggle, immediately the people do not turn to God in prayer, but instead they turn to grumbling and arguing and debating. What has happened? This tragedy has come upon us. This boy cannot be freed. Well, someone must have done something wrong. 
All right, well, let's pick who to blame. Is it the disciples or is it the scribes? Who do we choose? What's the issue? What are you doing wrong? Who do we listen to? So in this in this moment of of tragedy, immediately they turn to grumbling. And and Jesus is here now saying, how long am I to be with you? How long must I bear with you, you faithless generation? When will you listen? When will you believe? What must be done for you? As they name that place in Exodus, a place of quarreling, it angers the Lord. It frustrates the Lord when he is there leading and guiding his people. And the second something comes up that they do not like or that is is struggle to them, they do not put their faith in Christ. They immediately turn to grumbling and arguing. See, is our lack of belief really a matter of intellect? Is it a lack of belief? Is our, is our, is our lack of faith a matter of proof? Or is it a matter of pride? Jesus goes on to say, bring him to me. When I read this, I love this. I love when I saw it. So there's, there's this huge argument going down that Jesus walks up on over this boy with this possessed by this violent demon. And, and the whole crowd, I'm sure, at this point, is fearful of this power of the demon, as even the disciples were unable to cast it out. And in the midst of all this, Jesus rebukes the people, and then, standing strong, with no hesitation, says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. With no fear. The Lord sees the oppressed. He sees the evil powers. And the Lord does not cower away, but instead He stands there and says, Bring Him to me. Let us hear the words of God in this. Do we know the sick, the hurting, maybe even the demon, demon possessed? Bring them to Christ. Bring them before the throne of grace in prayer. Let us be those who hear the call of Christ in this moment and bring people to Christ. We have to realize, just like this man is learning in this moment, that the, the job of a Christian is, is not to, to bring somebody to some motivational speaker, not to bring somebody to some new age prophet. It's not to bring somebody to some systematic, uh, a way of getting people saved. What we're supposed to be doing is bringing people before Christ. Do we know the lost? Do we know the wayward? I'm sure we all know somebody. Well, let us bring them to Christ. Bring them before the preaching of the word. Preach the gospel to them yourselves. Bring them the word of God. Let them hear the words of Christ because what they need is not other people's solutions. They need Christ. Verse 20 says, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. In this, we should contemplate two things. The fear that would have been brought upon the people. So I'm sure these people have heard of this demon. Obviously, as they're all there, that's what the whole argument was about. 
But now, if they hadn't seen it before, this boy comes and seeing Christ, immediately the demon takes hold of him and begins to cause him to convulse. In front of the whole crowd, all is witness of this dramatic event. Think of, uh, think of like in, in, in public when, you know, you, you, uh, See, uh, you hear of a group of people fighting or even maybe something like a, a medical emergency, you know, and somebody is like choking at a table at a restaurant. Immediately everyone gets up and sees them and people are standing there. What's going to happen? What's what's going down? The, the nerves get high. The 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 fears start setting in. People are like, who, who's going to help this man? Who can who can who knows the Heimlich? Who can help him not choke? Who does somebody call the ambulance? You know, they, I can imagine this times a million as this boy is brought before Christ and all the sudden this violent episode begins to unfold before their eyes. I can imagine their fear was great, great trembling. I don't know that I've ever been in the presence of a demonic possession, but I'm sure it would take great faith in Christ for me to stand strong in that moment. Great faith. Because immediately I know I would, I would probably want to fear. What a terrible, frightful thing. It's not something we can control. Right? It's not something I can just, you know, give them a toita or maybe some water and they can just, you know, feel better. It's completely outside of my, my realm of ability. But here they are standing and they begin to see this unfold before them. But I think it's also worth mentioning the grip of the demon upon this boy. This demon was not going to let this boy go easily. Seeing Christ, knowing his inevitable fate before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when he was brought before the people, he knows, he knows where this is going. He knows this is a battle he cannot lose or he cannot win. But what he will do is everything in his power to harm the boy as this begins to unfold. Listen, Satan is not willing to give up anybody easily. I think it's so common. We see this uh, today where, where young people or people in general come to hear about the Lord. And then they return home immediately to face some kind of struggle or test or trial. They sit under the preaching and hearing the words, sitting before Christ. And immediately Satan takes the opportunity to bring out pain and tragedy. Hoping... That that would grip them more than the hope that they would find in Christ. Verse 21 says, And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion. How long has this been happening? I wonder why, have you ever considered why Jesus asked this question? Why would Jesus ask? That's what I thought when I read it. Why would it, why would it matter? Because I know Jesus is not concerned. Well, if this is happening, it's been happening for, you know, six months to a year, this is doable. But, you know, if it's beyond that, it's, you know, outside my realm of possibility. That's not what Jesus was thinking. So why did he ask the question? It was not because he was concerned about his ability to cast it out. It was actually the opposite. He wanted all those around to know his ability to cast it out. The father says, the father's response, from childhood. This was long set. 
Maybe even from birth. This, this child had been plagued with a demon. This was not something that came about yesterday or has been happening lightly, but has plagued this child often throughout his entire life. I see some common, some commonalities there between sin. Likewise, we are born into sin. Scripture tells us. We're born into sin. And just like this demon, it cast him into fire and water, often to destroy him. If you know, if you think, consider fire and water, they are complete opposites. You have fire on one side and water on the other. I think what we see here is that often this demon was using whatever possible to destroy this boy. Whatever he could. Going as far to the right or to the left as he could to destroy this boy, to plague him. And likewise, our sin has no end. Our sin has no bounds. If we do not come before the feet of Christ, our sin will take us as far to the left or as far to the right as it can to destroy us. We must be brought to the feet of Christ. The father then asked, you can almost hear the, the, the fear of the power of the demon upon this boy in the father's voice. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Jesus, this, this is, you see how bad this is. You see how terrible even your disciples were not able to cast it out. Look at him now as he stands before you. Look at, look at this helplessness and look at the power of this demon. Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion. And Jesus' response is so beautiful. If you can, if you can. You see, this was not a matter of if for Jesus. These are not matters of if Jesus can heal. It's a matter of will Jesus heal. Will we put our faith in Jesus that He would heal? He says, all things are possible for him who believes. There are no ifs before God. There have never been any ifs before God. It is not if God will redeem his people. It is how will God redeem his people. It was not if Jesus could heal this boy. It was how was Christ going to heal this boy. There is nothing beyond our God. There is no, there is no sea at which he cannot command. There is no universe at which he is not ruled. There is no demon so deeply rooted that which he cannot free us from. Jesus, if, if we will put our faith in Christ, anything is possible for him who believes. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. The first, the last. There is none before him. None behind him. He is all. He is our everything. And he is able. I want us to be careful here, though, as we read this passage, that we don't, when we read this, we don't allow it to say anything that Jesus never allowed it to say. When Jesus is saying here, if you'll just believe, anything is possible, he's not talking in terms of, if you would just believe, you could have any nice car that you wanted. If you would just believe, you'll get the job promotion you want. If you, if you just believe, all will go well. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. 
The context is deliverance. This is a, the context is deliverance. What Jesus is talking about here is if you will just believe, I am able to deliver you. Anything is possible. There is no depth of sin that you can be in that Christ cannot deliver you from. This is the first time in all the Gospels that the word possible is used. The first time. The next time Christ uses it is in Mark 10. In the context of of Jesus saying... uh, It will be as hard as a rich man to enter the kingdom of God as a camel to enter the eye of the needle. And the disciples go, if that's true, then who can enter the kingdom? And Jesus' response is, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What Jesus is beginning to show his people here in this public miracle is that Anything is possible. Anyone can be delivered if we would just believe. If we would put all of our faith in Christ and none of it in ourselves. I don't know exactly what area of faith the disciples lacked in. I don't know if the disciples had begun uh, to put their faith in themselves because they had so much success with the preaching of the disciples and the casting out of demons. I don't know if it was a matter of fear the demon came before them. I don't know if it was a matter of they begin to put their faith in, in a strategy. He said, cast them out. We cast them out. It works. I don't, I don't know what. The scripture doesn't tell us. But either way, the faith can never fall upon ourselves. It must be on Christ. Jesus wanted them to see he is able to do what no other man can do. Why is this important? Because the Jews knew the Jews knew saving someone eternally from their sin was an impossible task only God could do. Oftentimes we, when you, when you look through the New Testament, oftentimes you'll see where, especially a lot of Paul's letters, where he's addressing, uh, and he's writing to churches of, of, of Jewish converts. They were Jews and they became Christians. And so often he deals with the matters of works. He has to readdress the matter of works because the Jews, and because of the Jewish traditions, were so prone to making salvation not a matter of faith, but a matter of works again. They were so prone, and, and I would say not even just the Jews, but even we can become so prone to doing this. We can become so prone to making a matter of my salvation, uh, my attendance in church, my service in church, what I know about the Bible. And it's not about having faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Verse 24 Tells us immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. But I want to believe God, but I don't have the faith. You see, this this man is not saying, Jesus, I don't believe in you. He says, I believe, Jesus. I believe who you are. Help my unbelief. You see, this this man is coming to a realization that at some point every believer in Christ will come to. 
And that realization is this. We are saved by grace through faith, but even the faith at which we, at which causes us to truly believe is not found within ourselves. It is found at the mercy of Christ. This father is realizing that he is like, like a man, uh, Dying of a thirst in the desert. He recognizes he needs the water. He knows the water's right there next to him. The very water that will heal him and restore his life. But he is so weak and unable, he cannot even collect and drink the very thing that could save him. So he must, so he must do what all of us must do. And he must call upon and solicit the help of another. Someone more strong than him, more able than him, who can go and gather the water and give it to the man. This man is coming to the realization that even the faith that we have does not come from within ourselves, but is a gift from God. Scripture tells us that it is, it is God who both um, helps us to will and to believe. To will and to do. It is in Christ that we not only find hope, but it is from Christ that we can receive faith to have hope. But glory to God, Jesus came. Not only, you see, Jesus, this, this, this man came to Christ with an issue of his son. You noticed the man's first ask for help was for his son. He comes saying, Jesus, my son has a demon. Could you cast it out? And now, if you notice, the tone of the man has changed. Jesus, help me to believe. The man came seeking just deliverance from his son. And now he comes seeking faith from Christ as well. And glory to God, Jesus came doing both. Delivering those from oppression and delivering those from their sin as well as giving faith to those who need it. Lifting up those who are weak in faith. And Christ can save us from the torment if we would put all of our faith in Him. Even more so, when you lack faith, cry out to Him. And He is merciful to give. Verse 25 says, and when Jesus saw the crowd, and when Jesus saw that the, that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out and never enter him again. Jesus saw the crowd running in. The last two healings Jesus had done, the blind man and the deaf man, Christ did privately. The deaf man he took into a private space and the, the blind man he led out of the city and he did it privately. But now it's interesting because Jesus is doing something publicly. And he made note that the crowd was running to him. That the crowd was coming. This was not a private miracle. It was before everyone. Everyone seeing this unfold before their eyes. So why is this different? Why is Christ now going from doing the miracles privately and concealed and now all of a sudden having descended off the Mount of Transfiguration, things have seemed to change where now he's doing this before all the people delivering this boy? Because it was important for them to see Christ came to do the impossible. 
It was important for them to know that this was not just another man. He was not just another, another teacher or prophet. No, he came to do the impossible. We, we know that later on Christ goes on to do what is impossible for man. Deliver them from their very sins. Jesus was saying, I am here if you will just believe in me. Have faith. I am able to do the impossible. Christ then rebukes the spirit, calling it out by the very evil works that define it. He commands the spirit, you mute and deaf spirit, to come out. Never to enter him again. You know, when we read through these gospels, I've mentioned this before, but so much of, of what Christ did was a foreshadow of the workings of the kingdom of God. Christ was showing his people, this is how the kingdom of God is. This is how the kingdom of God will be. This was a boy plugged by a spirit since birth. It sought to destroy him. And now Christ comes on the scene to deliver the boy, unable to help himself. But by the mercy of God, he has come and he commands the spirit to come out. Pastor mentioned it this morning in our membership class. We are not a decisionist church. It's not about coming here and making a decision saying, I will believe in Christ. And as soon as you do that, come pray a prayer, do a little practice thing. And now you are a Christian. Now, we believe that Christ saves his elect. That he not only draws them, but he delivers them. Jesus did not ask this demon, hey, would you want to come out of this boy? Would it be all right with you? You know, would it be cool? He didn't ask the boy, boy, hey, would you, you know, just pray this prayer to me, you know, and say these things and, and then I'll cast the demon out. No, it says that Jesus commanded the spirit to come out and to never return. Look, let me tell you this morning, church, is as an encouragement and a hope that when the sun sets you free, you have been freed indeed. Never to return back to a place of, of, of judgment and wrath before the Father. But you have been delivered. When Christ saves, when Christ delivers, it is absolute. It is absolute. Undeniable. If Christ truly sets you free, you have been freed. Verse 26 says, and after crying out, and the boy, oh, I'm sorry, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. Again, I mentioned this earlier, the, the devil is not willing to let go of you easily. He, he cannot stand against the authority of Christ but he, in his sinfulness and his rebellion against God, will even rebel, will even sin in obedience. So when coming to Christ, when hearing of Christ, don't expect it to be an easy road. Jesus had just said if into the, to the people in Caesarea Philippi in the last chapter, his last main teaching, 
He says, if anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself. For anyone who would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and for the gospels will find it. It says that the boy was like a corpse. So much so that they said he's dead. When believers come and are del- come to Christ, when believers find saving faith at the mercy and the feet of Christ, the old you has gone away. You have been made new. Let me ask you, when you came to Christ, did they say that the old you is dead? This is a new you. And if, in fact, I've talked to many of you. I know many of you have stories of when you came to Christ, you lost friends and family because they said, I don't know you anymore. I don't know who you are. You're not who you used to be. Or coming back and, and coming to somebody and saying, ah, you know, you're, you're dead to me, bro. You know, I don't know you. You're not like you used to be. Is the old you dead? And has it been brought to life in Christ? It's funny that they said he is dead because even in this moment of Christ delivering this boy down to the very last moment, the people still lacked faith. They said he's dead. When the boy frolicked and convulsed and fell over like the corpse, the people did not rejoice going, yay, Christ delivered him. They were likely standing around saying, great, you killed him. And it's true. In the next verse, 27, it says, But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him, lifted him up, and he arose. Listen, before Christ makes you alive, he must kill you. The old you must be put to death before Christ can make you a new creation. There is no taking the old and bringing it on to the new. There is no looking back to the plow, for to do that is to be unworthy. We do not bring those things with us, but instead we look forward to the kingdom, to our glorious hope, who is Jesus Christ. And that is by the working of Christ's hand. It says He reached down and He took Him by the hand and raised Him up. What we're seeing here is that this work is not a work of our own, but it is by the working of the hand of Christ. We see this example in Mark all throughout the gospel of Mark, of of this Jesus lifting up by the hand, whether it was Peter's mother-in-law, or it was the young girl who was sick and who uh, fell asleep in the room, whether it is the, pl- the blind man that, God, that Jesus led out of the town, out of the village, before he healed his eyes. What Jesus is showing us here is that bringing this, this bringing to new life is not a matter of works, it's a matter of grace. It is by the working hand of God that we are raised to new life. That is why we must put all of our faith That is why it is an impossible task. Because only God can bring someone all the way to death and bring them back to life. Amen? That's exactly what we saw on the cross. Only God is able to go all the way to death and yet raise back to life. And it is only Christ and by His working hand that we can have our old self, the sinful self, be put to death and raised up to new life in Christ. What a glorious hope. In verse 28, it says, When he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, 
This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now remains the question. The question answered in private. The disciples are seeing all this glory of God displayed before them. They're still curious. Why could we not cast it out? Jesus, did you not give us authority to cast these things out? He's already addressed their little faith. In Matthew, he addresses their faith as well. The end of the Gospel of Matthew says, Because of your little faith, if you would have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you speak to this mountain, it would move. But here in Mark, that, that reply is expanded upon. Said so this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We must always remember where our faith and our focus must be. Your faith is evident in your prayer. Hear me. Your faith is evident in your prayer. You say, why is that so? Because in prayer is revealed where our faith is put. When we turn to God in prayer, we are saying, Lord, it is not what I can do. It is not my strategies that deliver people. It is not my ability to speak. It is not my ability to care for others. But it is by your grace. We must always keep our focus centered on Christ. We can never let it become things of this world or strategies of men. It must always remain on Christ. When we go to our knees in prayer, we are confessing to Christ. It is in your hands. I lift this need before you, God, because I know without your working hand, nothing can be done. I know without your working hand, Lord, that I can do all that I want, but no demons will be cast out. No gospel will be preached. unless it is the working of your hand. So work, God. Let me put all, let me, let me lift my request before you. Let me bring those who are demon-possessed before you in prayer. Let me call out for others. And even as we see here, let us call out even for our own faith. I mentioned earlier that this is, a, this is an area that every believer will come to when they realize that even faith itself is not found within themselves. But this must continually be the prayer of us believers. Lord, give me faith. Let me have faith to believe your word. To walk in obedience. To live in sanctification. To glorify your name. Give me the faith that I need, Lord, because it is not within myself. It comes from your table. It comes from your grace. So to answer the question that I brought up at the beginning in conclusion, what do we do if we find ourselves in an area of weak faith? We pray. Let us pray. Let us put our request at the feet in the mercy of Christ. Because if we will lay it down there, believing He is merciful, he is, it is, nothing is impossible for Him. And He is gracious to give us strength. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your grace.
Lord, that as though, although we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that you showed up on the scene at the right time and you gave us grace. That even when we were weak in faith, Father, you provided the faith that we needed. And so, Lord, I pray that this truth of your word would seek deep into the hearts of your saints this morning. That we would go out not trusting in our own opinions, not trusting in our own abilities, Lord, but we would go out completely dependent upon you, calling upon your grace for faith. Lord, I pray for faith this morning upon your church, Lord. I pray that you would stir up faith in your people here, God. That we would be those that go out and proclaim the truth. That we would be those who go out and represent you well. That when those of the world come in amongst us, Lord, that that your name would be represented and given glory, that even they would see and be and be convinced to cry out to you too as well. Lord, give me faith. Lord, would the faith of your people be lifted up here at Northridge? Would you stir up the faith of your church here to glorify your name and in this city, in this nation, and in this world? We thank you for all of your grace. In these things, in Jesus' name we pray. to take the Lord's Supper this morning. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful sign of a thing signified that although we remember Christ's death and resurrection in this, we also give thanks as we continually are fed by the power and the mercy of Christ as we partake in the Lord's Supper this morning. What a joyous thing. What a great thing we have the opportunity to do and to do with thanks and in rejoicing this morning. I want to uh, urge you that if you are not a believer here this morning, if you have not put all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would abstain from the table this morning. Uh, not because we just want to exclude you, but because um, we want to care for you in Christ tells us in his word that to partake of these elements unworthy, that you are to drink judgment upon yourself. But we do not want you to remain there. If that is you this morning, we would ask that you would come talk to Pastor Dave, uh, Pastor Mark, or me this morning, because we would love for you to know the truth and the hope that we have and what this beautiful sacrament represents for us as we live by the body and the blood of Christ every Sunday. Um, So if you would go ahead and come gather your elements and then we will take them together. We read in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the bread.
And in the same way, and in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us take the cup. Father, we thank you for your precious blood and body that was broken on our behalf. And we thank you by the power of your spirit. We are renewed and kept alive in faith by your grace continually, daily, and weekly, Lord. We thank you for this grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you put your hands in a receiving position, I want to read a benediction over you, which comes from Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right.